We celebrate today the second Sunday of Lent. And uh, our minds are drawn to God's love and his relationship with humanity. How God fulfills his promise to humanity. Our first reading is from the book of Genesis. And we hear how the Lord assured Abraham that he is going to give him a big posterity and a land for their inheritance. We are told the Lord brought Abraham out and he asked him to look at the number of stars in the sky. And he said, your descendants will be as numerous as that. Here is the man who had a wife who was first introduced as the first woman to be barren in scripture. His wife Sarah was barren. Here is the man who was very well into his age, later part of his uh, cycle of life. Yet the Lord assures him, I will give you this land for your inheritance and I'm going to give you posterity. How would this be possible? The possibility of having a child was a test case for Abraham. It was the greatest challenge in his response to God. But God revealed himself to him. I am the God who brought you from Ur of the Chaldean. I am the God who brought you from the fertile crescent. And I promise you this land. And so from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, all the land will be yours. And then the challenge comes again. Abraham said, how can I know this? Remember, these are the very words of Zechariah. When the angel Gabriel appeared to him in the sanctuary, that his wife was going to give birth to a son, and the son will be named John. How can I know this? And so the Lord was very patient with Abraham, and he said, let me prove to you, bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old he-goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And I will show you. So Abraham brought all those animals and birds, and he cut them into two, put them side by side. That was the traditional way of making a contract. Here is, you go, and then you get a lawyer, and you sign, and then you get a witnesses, and you are done. In those days, animals were slit into two. And you put one here, one half here, one half there, and the two parties who were contracting the agreement will walk in between the two halves. And in walking between the, in the two halves, we are saying that the fate of these animals will befall on a partner who defaults his or her part of the agreement. So it was a serious situation. 
So in Hebrew, we don't say we write a covenant. We say we cut a covenant. Karat beri, because the animals were cut into two. And we are told that the bears of the sky were zooping on the carcasses and Abraham was so busy driving them away. You know, it tells me that Abraham thought that he is the defendant of the covenant. And he's going to show when Abraham, after that chapter, is going to have the slave girl Hagar and give birth to Ishmael. Again, Abraham thinking he has to fulfill the covenant. But it wasn't him. It's the Lord who fulfills his promise. So when the bears were zooping and Abraham was busy driving them away, you know, getting to the later part of the day, a trance fell on him and he fell asleep. Who protects those carcasses? The Lord. It was only when Abraham was asleep that the Lord in a thick cloud and smoke walked in between the two halves. In other words, God committed himself to the covenant and not Abraham. In other words, even if Abraham was unfaithful, the Lord will make it happen. You know, at times we think we made it. We are going to make everything happen. But we forget that if the Lord does not build the house, in vain do the builders labor. If the Lord does not watch over the city, in vain does the watchman keep vision. The Lord made it happen. He's going to give the land as he had promised. And he goes through by subjecting himself to the covenant agreement that was in existence at the time. That covenant was an everlasting covenant. It was a covenant that kept on to be renewed. It was a covenant that was codified on Mount Sinai. It was a covenant that was rectified in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are told that when Jesus took John and James to Mount Tabo, and there transferred upon them, the disciples, and they were sleeping. So when they woke up, they missed part of the show. You know, at times we are sleeping, and only God knows how much of God's providence and glory we do miss. When we are sleeping, it's because of sin. When we are sleeping, it's because we lack faith. When we are sleeping, it's because we are so proud of ourselves. When we are sleeping, it could mean that we have even lost confidence and trust in God. And when we do that, we miss the show. Unless we wake up, we will not see the glory of God. When they woke up, they saw the glory of God. They saw Jesus transfigured and his clothes becoming as dazzling as white. And therefore, they were able to see Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Luke tells us that they were talking about his exodus. The exodus experience in the Old Testament 
was the liberation of the people of Israel from slavery and from suppression in Egypt. It was a liberation that made them the people of God. It was a liberation that made the people inherit the land. It was a liberation that made it possible for God to rectify his covenant with Abraham with them. So if Jesus and Moses and Elijah are talking about the exodus of Jesus, it is about the liberation of humanity. It is the liberation and bringing us to the promised land, not a land of Cana, but a land of heaven. It was a liberation from our subjugation by sin. It was a liberation that makes us children of the new covenant, sealed in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then we are told that when the Moses and Elijah disappeared, they were there with Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, it is wonderful to be here. Let us build three booths, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. Certainly he is not stupid. If Jesus gets one tent, then he's going to stay there with Jesus. It is wonderful to be here. How many of us are able to say, it is wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord. Let's look at this scenario. Moses, a representation of the law, was there. Elijah, a representative of the prophet, was there. And Jesus was there. They were on the mountain. And on the mountain is the place where the symbolism of worshiping of God exists. And we are told that all these disappeared. And then when they woke up, they saw only Jesus. So it tells you Jesus is the only one who remains. You know, at times we have religious programs and when we are invited, we say, oh, I wish I could make it. I wanted to go, but you know, I have this or that and I cannot be there. Dearly beloved, I think anytime we go to a place where we can encounter the Lord, we should be able to say it is wonderful to be here. When you come to the Eucharist, when you come to see the love, the glory of God in the transformation of bread and wine into the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and when we profess my Lord and my God, are we able to say with Peter, it is wonderful to be here. But Peter did not know what he was saying. And Jesus says, we got to go. Because Jesus needed to embrace the cross. He needed to go through his exodus. That was the reason why Moses and Elijah appeared. In the same way, no matter how the celebration goes, no matter how wonderful it is to encounter the Lord in the Eucharist, 
The King John is going to tell you the masses ended, go forth in the peace and love of Christ. And we're going to say, thanks be to God. And as I say, we say, thanks be to God, now because the loudmouth African priest has ended the mass. <laughs> it's not because now we have been set free, we can go to dinner over there. We are saying, thanks be to God, because God has made it possible for us to come to communion with him and to be able to go out and share in his mission in the world. Unworthy that we are, we are privileged that way. So we give thanks to God for that. Thanks be to God. Dearly beloved, when the Lord says, he does it. When the Lord promised Abraham, indeed, he did give the land. He did give the posterity to Abraham. And in the same way, when he promised and told us, this is my son, listen to him, he meant what he said. If we listen to Jesus as the son of God, if we follow him, we will become beneficiaries of that covenant. We will become beneficiaries of his exodus experience. The exodus on Calvary. Do we always listen to Jesus? Do we make Jesus the most important person in our lives? Can we say only Jesus is enough for me. There are people who give more importance in their lives to the law, to Moses. There are people who give more importance to the so-called prophets of today. The people who preach prosperity messages to us. People who do not even challenge us, but they, they give us words that make us so happy. We want to go to a celebration which looks like an entertainment, where the reality of the mystery is missing, where the real word of God and our eternal salvation is missing. Does Jesus become the most important person you need in your life? What about the beautiful cathedrals and the basilicas? There are some who make religious worship images and even priests their idols. We get surrounded by all kinds of images and we think that is what holiness resides, where it resides. There are people who, you know, are so much uh, attached to particular priests and uh, thinking that maybe his mass is the only mass that is necessary. Let us not forget it is Jesus who, through his Holy Spirit, transforms bread and wine into his body and blood. It is not me. If you are coming to Mass, you are not coming because it's me or it's some particular priest. You are coming to Mass because Jesus is the one you need, the one you want to encounter.
Beloved, probably we have not accepted that what is decisive in our lives is Christ. But I pray that Jesus and his gospel will become the light and the engine of our life. Amen. Amen.